another hot, another humid day across the GTA. I feel like I just permanently have some kind of sweat on. I, I hate sweating, but I'm kind of a sweaty guy. But right now, you just got to embrace it, right? You just got If you touch someone, or if they touch you, you know, just go up to someone, give them a hug, whether it be a friend of yours or whoever. They put your arms around your back. They're going to feel some wetness. They will. Simply put. And typically that grosses me out. But at this point and how hot it's been and how humid it's been, you just say, oh, the weather. Done. Just wipe your hands off it. Your fault. You touch me. That's kind of where we're at right now. And the Canadian Open's about to take place. Actually, this weekend should be gorgeous. Not overly humid, perfect temperatures, but there's nothing worse than a big crowd running around a lot of hot, sweaty people. I can't, that is the worst part of Toronto summers. Like going down to a Jays game, roof open down at the Rogers Center, that place is like a soup bowl. You feel like you're in some sort of minestrone. You're in there, you're a noodle just flopping around. It's disgusting. Gross. Minestrone, by the way, delicious, but being in that soup dish, disgusting. Um, We'll try not to focus on that over the next two hours. I just came in, and the studio is just so damp. I'm, like, hot and cold at the same time. I'm wearing, like, a long sleeve shirt now. I'm trying to get my body temperature regulated. So, plenty of breaking news, by the way. Over the last hour, I should remind you, you can get at me anytime and the phone lines are open at 416-870-1050, 416-870-1050, toll free at 1-855-591-6876, at Wheeler TSN, the text is 1050-50, and the email live at tsn1050.ca. Plenty of breaking news this morning. Uh, noodles. Jamie McLennan is going to join me at 11.45, which is an actual treat, uh, getting to chat with Jamie at this time of the year. But I wanted to have him on because this was breaking news over the last hour that Jerome Ginla will announce his retirement in Calgary on Monday. He's going to check into the show at 11.45 today. Uh, really excited about that. To kind of reflect on the career that Jerome Ginla has ha- uh, had. And Jerome, although he spent 16 years, 16 years in Calgary alone, three in Colorado, one in Boston, one in Los Angeles, one in Pittsburgh, and those, the, the Kings, Penguins, I mean, it was abbreviated, 19 and 13 games. But a guy that played over 1,500 NHL games, 1,554 in total, scored 625 goals, totaled up 1,300 points in the game. Uh, I think he's a player that not only resonated from a Calgary local perspective, but a Canadian hockey perspective. Because Jerome McGinley represented everything that Canadian hockey's always been proud about. And everything I think that we as Canadians are about as well. A hard-nosed, tough guy that wouldn't be afraid to drop the gloves, uh, would be a, a son of a you-know-what to play against on a nightly basis, could score could go up and down the lineup, do so many things right. And I just think that when it comes to representing Canadian hockey, he was the face and can be a proud ambassador of what the Canadian game is all about. And and on on top of that, 
I think it's really sad when we look at the game of hockey today and players like Jerome Ginla are going the way of the dodo bird. They're becoming extinct. They're becoming a rare breed as the game gets faster and players are getting smaller. And if you can't skate like the wind, apparently in a lot of people's eyes, you're not good enough to play. And I feel and I find that's real unfortunate, especially the, the whole toughness side of the game, which I fundamentally believe is an important aspect and element of hockey. Being able to hold your ground, be able to provide some kind of resistance, show a little toughness, show a little grit. These are things that absolutely mattered. But now, the way that many people, not everyone, but many people that you listen to on this radio station and others are simply advocates for that small skill game. I think that we completely miss another side that is likewise entertaining. And Jerome McGinley could do it all. That's what made him great. He could do it all. So his career coming to an end, uh, like I said, over 1,500 games in the NHL. We'll reflect on Aginla's career, what made him so special with Jamie McLennan a little bit later on this hour. It's just It would be a shame if players like Jerome McGinley, uh are no more in the NHL. And I don't think we're completely there, but we're going in that direction. And I think that is an absolute shame. Uh, Also breaking over the last hour, Josh Allen, uh, new Buffalo Bills quarterback, has signed his entry-level deal. It's a four-year contract for the new Buffalo Bills quarterback. I'm excited to see him play. And I said this when the NFL draft went down. I think that Baker Mayfield at number one was a mistake. I like Darnold. I like Allen a lot more. So uh, let the Josh Allen era in Buffalo officially begin with the signing of a his entry-level contract. Also a trade in Major League Baseball as we approach the non-waiver trade deadline, which is the most ridiculous thing ever, if you think about it, that there's a trade deadline, then there's kind of another trade deadline. Like, just make it one deadline! Is the baseball season that long? You need... Different tiers of trade deadlines, apparently. Uh, Nathan Uvalde from the Tampa Bay Rays is being traded to the Boston Red Sox. So the rich get richer. Uvalde coming off a serious arm injury. I believe he missed a year and a half. But in recent starts, has done really well um, with the Tampa Bay Rays. And with a couple of Red Sox pitchers going on the DL, including Rodriguez, over the last week. Wanted a little bit more pitching depth. There you go. Nathan Uvalde there. Not a bad spot to land with that juggernaut Boston Red Sox team. So the clock's ticking up for the Toronto Blue Jays to make a deal. Um, I don't know about you, Toronto, and we're going to get into this. Richard Griffin's going to join me uh, in uh, at around 12.25 today. And we're going to go through trade or no trade, the Toronto Blue Jays edition. Who should get shipped out? Who most likely will get shipped out? And who won't for various reasons. We'll, we'll run down the list, but I have a real hard time digesting what's gone on with the Blue Jays over the course of the last couple of years under the Shatkins regime because the team went from one that was making big moves or trying to make some moves at the trade deadline to bolster their playoff chances or make sure their team was more well-rounded for a deep playoff run. Now it's about just shipping off players who are out of contract and or out of contract at the end of the year. 
And that, for me, is not exciting. Random baseball players who are playing on a losing team being traded away because their contracts are running out for players that most likely you have never heard before. That's not exciting to me. And when these deals are consummated or made, you go on, you Google it, and you try to see who this prospect is and who you might be getting in return. And generally, when the Blue Jays have traded roster players for prospects, how often have they worked out? Seriously, go go through the list in recent years of when the Blue Jays have been in this position, when they've made a deal, um, what they've actually got in return. There might be decent prospects at that time, but prospects, they bust as much as they make it, probably even more, and the Blue Jays have failed to capitalize on the assets that they've had. Um, I'm, I'm not excited about this trade deadline. I, I can't unless some bigger names are traded and bigger names who are controllable by the ball club. Like, look, I don't want to go through this trade deadline. Remember last year that how bad Marco Estrada was over the course of the year? They needed a really good end of the year in September when you're playing against AAA, AA call-ups. Everyone's like, yeah, Marco Estrada coming back in 2018. Blue Jays are going to have the best rotation of the AL East. I, I can't believe, and I sat here on the radio and I'm saying, guys, are you really buying that junk? And based on the texts and tweets and emails and phone calls I got, yeah, you bought it. And I guess that's what happens when a media company owns a baseball team. Because you guys took that Kool-Aid, drunk it all up, and burst through a wall at me. But the Blue Jays' rotation is stunk. The team is stunk. This is no surprise. Um, I will be interested if Josh Donaldson gets traded because of where his value was compared to where it may be. I mean, this isn't a feel-good story, but you can at least be curious. Uh, I'm also interested to see if the organization said enough is enough with Marcus Stroman and say, you know what, not just his persona, the attitude, but potentially the player and what we think of him, perhaps his reputation, and a lot of that is self-made, has more substance than the actual player. I think Stroman's going to be a fine uh, Major League Baseball pitcher, is he a front-of-the-rotation guy on a winning team? I don't think so. I don't trust his size. I know that height doesn't, doesn't measure heart, but it doesn't measure long-term success, generally speaking, either. Uh, and height doesn't measure humility. So uh, I'll leave those two things alone. And then there's Roberto Asuna, And he would be a player that I would ship out of town. Look, a great start as a Toronto Blue Jay. I don't like what went down. I don't like the stories I'm hearing. And I don't like a pending court case hanging over his head. Buster Olney of ESPN guested on Landsberg in the morning. Mark Rowe uh, coming in from the bullpen for Michael this morning alongside Carlo Koliakovo. And Buster Olney, here's what he had to say about any potential interest in the Toronto Blue Jays' much maligned closer. I've talked uh, to a number of teams and asked, uh, are you guys in on this, uh, on, on Asuna? And I'm getting back a lot of no's. I can't actually identify, uh, you know, any team that's actually, you know, deep into the discussion. And you understand why. I might actually be having executives lie to me because they don't want it to have out there and, and percolate in their local media that they're talking about acquiring a player who is serving a suspension for domestic violence. And I have been told flat out by teams, we're not touching him. There you go. Buster only ESPN. Would you touch him? Just say you're a fan of another baseball team. Would you touch Roberto Asuna right now? I mean, maybe it's a buy-low candidate, but 
I'm not going near that. Um, I think character reflects itself in times of adversity, and and I guess he was facing some adversity, and look where his character is right now. Uh, not a big fan. Don't want to see him back on the field with the Blue Jays either, either if I'm going to be honest. I know that he's potentially going to be pitching in Buffalo. Um, I don't even think he should be pitching there right now. Um, to be honest with you, but we'll see how that scenario plays out. And if one of those big-name Blue Jays players ends up getting traded, uh, then you have my interest. But if it's about selling off Hap or Granderson or Clippard, you heard Fitzy say it in the Sports Center update. Uh, okay, it's it's a line note for me, and I move on with my life. Should, should we get to this Buster Olney or not Buster? Demar Derozan interview. I guess it was a matter of time before DeMar DeRozan came out and said his piece. I got a lot of feelings on this. I just Some of the talking points that are going on in the city right now are just infuriating for me. I heard someone say over the last 24 hours that they still don't believe that Dwayne Casey should have been fired. What? Like, when you do not succeed, when you do not reach your inevitable goals, I don't care what you do over the regular season. When push comes to shove, when an opportunity presents itself, you need to execute. You need to be at your best in case he wasn't. And it started at game 82 when he nonsensically was playing his starters late in a ball game that didn't matter to pursue win number 60 against the Miami Heat. It ended up costing them Fred Van Vliet. It screwed up his playoff rotations. The team was struggling once they lost that player, and the wheelers completely fell off. It's just uh, the defending of individuals who we happen to like, who didn't inevitably go on to achieve, it's mystifying to me. I can like someone but acknowledge that, yeah, change is probably necessary. And, yeah, let's move on. But some, for whatever reason, continue to think with their heart and not in their head. Which kind of goes against everything and the trends where we're heading in professional sports today. Uh, I'll share some thoughts on DeMar DeRozan. Here he was last night on ESPN Sports Center. By the way, finally getting attention after nine years in Toronto. Now he's front page material. Now there's a little controversy around him. Funny. Um, DeMar's still pissed that he got traded and he wasn't told. Uh, Danny Green came out with his podcast inside the green room yesterday. Do you know who else wasn't told he was traded before he was? Oh, yeah, Danny Green, a guy that actually won a title in a city, wasn't told he was being traded. But I digress. Here's DeMar DeRozan speaking to Chris Haynes of ESPN. DeMar DeRozan, the newest member of the San Antonio Spurs. Man, what what was this past week like for you? Oh, man, it was a blur. It was a dream. Still kind of feel, you know, like a dream right now. But it's been been tough. Had this roller coaster up and down, just trying to get acclimated to, you know, um, changing teams. How do you feel you were treated particularly by Masai Ujiri. Um, I felt like I wasn't treated with what I sacrificed for nine years, you know, um, with the respect that I thought I deserved. By just giving me the say-so of letting me know something's going on or it's a chance. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I'm not saying you don't have to train me or you just let me know something going on because I I sacrificed everything. Just let me know. You know what I mean? And, and that's all I ask. You know what I mean? I didn't I never everybody know I'm the most low maintenance person in the world. 
just let me know so I can prepare myself for whatever my next chapter is. And I didn't get that. You know, it seemed like I was in that discussion of moving forward with the team. You know, my whole approach was like every single summer, you know, um, preparing, going out there, supporting the young guys in summer league, um, figuring out why, ways how I could be better, make my team better. And that was the feeling and that was the gist of the conversations we had with moving forward, having an opportunity to do something um, special all over again, you know, so that was my mindset and, you know, everybody around me mindset as well. What was your thoughts initially about going over to San Antonio? Um, I mean, I'm still in shock. Second, still, I'm still in shock. I mean, uh, second person I talked to that night that I'm close friends with is Rudy Gay. I called him. I remember being, I was upset and I called him like, man, dude just traded me, man, like what? Brody was like, what? To who? I said, man, to y'all. He started laughing. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, look, I don't mean to laugh, but I got my, I got my boy back, man. That's, that's yeah. like, but you gonna be all right, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Everything, I was like, man, I shouldn't even call you. I should have <laughs> waited till it came out and you called me, but it was cool just to, you know, yeah. be able to call my man, somebody that's one close in my life. That's on the Spurs, too, so he, he made it easy. So what are the Spurs getting in a player of DeMar DeRozan's caliber? Um, man, it's a guy that's been proven to prove itself time and time again. You know, and this time around, having the biggest chip on his shoulder ever that I didn't had in my career when they carried that over and played for a championship, period. DeMarco Rosen in conversation with ESPN's Chris Haynes. So now he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. So now he's going to be able to take a team to a championship. Look, how many chances do you need? And I like DeMar. But all these buzzwords like the sacrifice. He not only sacrificed for the team, it's part of the job when you're a true pro, but he sacrificed for himself. It's made him an exceptionally wealthy human being. He earned a contract that pays him $28 million a year. So sacrifice is a two-way street. And the organization, the Raptors, sacrifice for him as well. And I just don't know where we're at right now. He said that he needed to prepare himself for the trade, to prepare himself for what's next. The season doesn't start till October, man. You have lots of time to wrap your head around where you're going to live, how it's going to play out, who you're going to play with. It's all good. I just I think the Raptors are being cast in an unnecessarily negative light here. For no reason. For making a good deal. And the, these hurt feelings. Is this where we're at right now? He says he's the most low-maintenance guy. This doesn't sound like it. 416-870-1050. Uh, let's go to Marcus and Pickering. What's happening, Marcus? Hey, Gareth. What's going on, buddy? Not bad. You? I'm uh, just hanging out. So, um... Yeah, listen, about this DeMar situation, it's like, I get it. Um, you know, I'm a big Raptors fan, big Raptors supporter, have been, you know, for my whole life, whatever. You know, it was hard seeing Vince leave or, you know, wanting to get traded or whatever. It was hard to see, you know, Bosch obviously take his talents elsewhere, this and that. So it was nice seeing DeMar stay and everything he did, sacrifices that he claims or whatever. But, um you know, like he had a bunch of cracks at it. You know, he, he yes. had he had some he had some time to 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 better himself, and you know, nothing was really happening defensively. You know, to to 
you know, to win, to, to get to that championship level. So something had to be done. Like, so as a fan, like, you know, I understand, like, where he's coming from, but all this, like, sensitivity and this soft sort of mindset, like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get it know? either. I, I, and thanks for the phone call, Marcus. And, and look, exactly. He had his kicks at the can. Last year, the Cavaliers in playoff games, not against the Raptors, were 7-10. and 10. Like... Against the Raptors, they swept them. This is DeMar's team. He was benched in the fourth quarter. I hit as many three-point shots as DeMar DeRozan in that series. Didn't play. Like, if you can't get up for that in your with your ninth year of the, of, of, uh, within the organization, when are you? Like, just to say, oh, LeBron's gone now, now that I can play. What a weak mentality, man. I don't know. Like, I, I wanted to hear from DeMar, and nothing convinces me to change my mind otherwise. The Raptors didn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. And I think the sooner that we acknowledge that, the better we'll all be moving on from this. Uh, I'll take more of your phone calls later on this hour. Um, We do have Toronto FC soccer coming your way tonight. Second leg of the Canadian Championships. Ottawa Fury are in town. I got your game call pre-match starting at 7 p.m. tonight. It's been such an unusual year for Toronto FC. And I want to kind of walk through what's happened and where maybe your mindset is around this team. Neil Davidson, the Canadian Press, he's going to check in the program next to weigh in on where Toronto FC are at right now. You went from the highest of highs now to the lowest of lows. Now there's signs of life for Toronto FC. Where are we at? Neil Davidson will help let you know where he believes the team is at right now. As he checks into Toronto today next, I am Gareth Wheeler at Wheeler TSN. The text is 10:50, and you are listening to TSN 10. 50 in Toronto. Gareth Wheeler with you. Good morning, Toronto. 29 degrees today, hot and humid yet again. Kind of like when Toronto FC was last at home. They played five consecutive games on the road. Their last game at BMO Field was all the way back on Canada Day, which covering the World Cup seems like ages ago now. It was a one nothing loss to the New York Red Bulls, but TFC now showing some signs of life as the squad begins to get a little bit more healthy. They're coming off a 2-1 win over Chicago, and tonight, back at BMO for a 7.30 kickoff. You can listen to it right here on TSN 1050, bringing home a one nothing aggregate lead as they face the Ottawa Fury in the semifinal round of the Canadian Championship. Uh, no one covers Toronto FC better than my next guest. It is Neil Davidson from the Canadian Press at Neil M. Davidson on Twitter to kind of walk you through all that's gone on in what's been in a very interesting season for Toronto FC. Uh, good morning, Neil. Thanks for doing this, pal. My pleasure, Gareth. Um, where to begin? Because honestly, this Toronto FC season seems like it's taken so many twists and turns across the way. You're fresh off winning your first MLS Cup. You're straight into the Champions League. You make it all the way to the final. You deal with a lot of injuries. And now you find yourself somehow, some way in ninth place in the Eastern Conference. What stands out to you the most about these highs and lows of this seemingly never-ending TFC season? Well, it's been a slippery slope, I think, for the MLS champions. Uh, it starts as you mentioned, back in December when they won the title, a short off-season straight into the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, Injuries, uh, amazing injuries. Uh, 
often hitting the back line uh, very badly. And uh, it kind of set a domino effect. Uh, players were forced to play other positions, forced to play more than they should perhaps. Then they got injured. So other players came back. They got injured again. So it, it's really been sort of one step forward, two steps back. And it's only recently, as you say, that uh, uh, the roster, the injury room is, is kind of emptied out and they're now getting back to to really where they should have been right at the beginning. Is it as simplistic as this team just suffered too many injuries to deal with, Neil? Or the problem's more complicated, in your opinion, than that? Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think the injuries and the schedule um, were two huge reasons for what has happened to them. But uh, MLS, as you know, is, uh, is a very competitive league. Teams that uh, uh, can be that the bottom one season can be at the top the other season. It's not just Toronto FC. I mean, if you look at Seattle Sounders, the team they beat uh, in the cup final, they're 10th they're in the West. So uh, these problems are not unique to, uh, to Toronto. I think uh, while you can point to the injuries in the schedule as major things, uh, for holding them back. Other teams have moved forward. I think it's just caught a lot of people surprised. By surprise, hasn't it, Neil? Where, I don't know about you, but if you're just speaking to random people that kind of follow the team but aren't at BMO Field each and every week, I guess even the people that are at BMO Field, they're still saying, well, how did things go south so quickly? Yes, we understand there's injuries, but some top players and the team just haven't been performing like we saw over recent seasons. Right, so I, I know there's no simple answer, but I guess that's what people kind of want to hear: is whether everything's going to be okay or whether there's bigger issues at play. I'm not sure there are bigger issues uh, at play, though. Uh, the problems have been so widespread. I think it's under, it's easy to understand what people might uh, might think that. But even you know, a player like Sebastian Javinko, who has been on the field for a lot of the time. Uh, he suffered because uh, Josie Altidore wasn't uh, wasn't there to help take away some of uh, the attention on him. So even the healthy players have have suffered, uh, even though they they have been on the pitch. All teams in all major sports have blips like this, difficult stretches. Uh, did you see enough on the weekend with some of the main players coming back, Neil and Josie Altidore and Chris Mavinga and Victor Vasquez, to really show enough signs of life that you firmly believe this team can make a genuine playoff push? Well, I think though the players you mentioned are key to uh, uh, the Toronto FC return to uh, to prominence. Uh, if they can get Drew Moore back at some point, uh, and Arrow, who's been one of the top uh, uh top newcomers as well, this will help. Altidore is a huge plus, I think, uh, not just because he's a big, burly presence up uh, up front, but, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't give much of himself to the media, kind of keeps to himself, but he's a huge presence in that team. He's a real, you can see it on his social media, he's a real beacon of, uh, of positivity. So having him back and Mavinga, who is kind of the glue, part of the glue of that back line, they're important uh, returnees, but there's so much work to be done. Uh, you know, I kind of look at them right now. They're like, uh, you know, they're like you had a huge 
you have a huge day ahead of yourself, an important business meeting, you've slept in, you've forgotten to get your coat from the dry cleaners, you got to take the kids to school, you got to go <laughs> to the bank. There's an awful lot to be done for, for, before you get to the destination. And I think TFC is like that. Neil Davidson from the Canadian Press joining us here on TSN 1050. I'm Wheels at Neil M. Davidson. The thing that's just striking for me is just conceding 39 goals through 20 league games played. Isn't that, Neil? Like, Because we all know, I think even general fans in the city know about Javinko and Altidore, but defensively, the team only conceded 37 through 34 all of last year. And that just shows me, it's not only Altidore setting the tone up top, it's Mavinga and Drew Moore at the back. These are substantial losses, which almost kind of threw out the balance across the back line, didn't it? Yes. I mean, I, I, at one point during the season, I counted how many players that suited up in their back three, back five, and they were at 14, I think. Uh, so, And it's not just the back line. Uh, uh, the midfield and the forwards have done a poor job uh, in front of them in many ways. Uh, there was a game, I think it was in New York City, when, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when Marky Delgado gave up, uh, uh, gave up the ball in the yes. opposition end, and four passes later... Uh, it was in the Toronto goal, and what disturbed me about that was the, the kind of display of frustration that Javinko and, uh, and Nico Hasler, no longer with the team, showed when Delgado gave the ball away. That was one thing that concerned me. Previously, I, you know, the all-for-one attitude was was quite prevalent, and there have been signs this year that the frustration has got to the players. I think the coaching staff is is working on that, and you're never going to control. Uh, a mercurial player like uh, Javinko, but uh, they've given the ball away in bad places. It's uh, uh, Greg Vanny's been saying that all season, and they've got to uh, they've got to clean that up. I think having Mavinga back steadies uh, the Zavaletas and Haglins of the world, and when Moore comes back, uh, that will uh, do the same. But uh, the Lineup changes they've had to make this season are quite uh, head-turning. Absolutely. I mean, the expectations have been raised when it comes to this team, and I get where the frustration comes from. With the team sitting nine points back of a playoff spot, and both the Montreal Impact and the New England Revolution sit in a playoff spot right now, respectively in fifth and sixth in the Eastern Conference, TFC has a game in hand on New England, two games in hand on Montreal. Is that too big of a gap, Neil? Like they have 14 league games remaining. Uh, I still think that they have a playoff push in them just because of the teams in front of them. None of them really excite me to, to up, uh, you know, up to the impact that's fifth place in the table. I think that some ground really can be made up, but they need to be fit and they need to find their form in a hurry. Yes, uh, I, I'm certainly not writing them off yet. As you say, they've got. 14 games remaining, and uh, nine of those games are against the East, Eastern teams. Now four against the top three, so that makes it difficult. But there are points uh, to be taken. Uh, I do think that they can get into the playoffs, uh, but the hard work, even if they do, it's going to be at the bottom, I think, of the Eastern uh, Conference playoff range. So that's going to make for some tough, uh, uh, tough games ahead of them. But if this team finds it, uh, gets the roster back, everybody is firing on full uh, full uh, cylinders, 
uh, I don't think they're a team that uh, others want to face in the playoffs. So uh, there's more to be written this season. Absolutely. Uh, that includes tonight in the Canadian Championship, the second leg against the Ottawa Fury. This competition's all important for Toronto FC. They've won it the last two years, Neil. But this is your way back into the CONCACAF Champions League, a trophy that this club desperately wants to win. But there'll be a little bit of a different feel at BMO Field tonight, won't there be, with supporters groups put on notice and privileges have been taken away for the time being based upon some ugly scenes. Uh, A fire was accidentally set to a Toronto FC seating section in Ottawa last week. What do you expect to play out tonight and how will that atmosphere end up playing out and how does this situation end up being resolved, Neil? Well, that's an interesting one, uh, Gareth. You know, as you know, we went through this a couple of years ago uh, when they uh, they took away the support of privileges, uh, and it was a very quiet place. The South End, uh, I think they dressed in black for some of them. Uh, they weren't making any noise, and uh, BMO Field was uh, was a lot different. Um, to be uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how they. Uh, uh, how they sort this one out. Uh, the supporter groups, the majority of which, as you know, uh, are just fervent uh, fans. They yes. want to support their team. They, they're not there to disrupt uh, uh, disrupt things. But it seems there's a very small minority that thinks they're uh, sitting in the stands in Romo or something. Uh, I don't quite understand what they're doing. But the club's got... Uh, it's a tough position for the club. They want those fans behind them. Uh, but they also uh, are not going to tolerate the kind of uh, mayhem that went on in Ottawa. So there's going to be some uh, talking behind the scenes. I think the plus on it is that the inebriati, uh, the group uh, that apparently was responsible for those uh, the firecrackers in, in Ottawa, as you know, put out a statement this week, and they seem uh, to realize the error of their ways. So... I think that's a a step in the right direction. Right. I mean, these are grown adults. I don't blame the club. They had to do something, Neil. Uh, And I think that they're going through every course of action they can. But there's self-policing, right? Like, these are grown grown ups that are out there supporting a team. There's no need for flares or fire or trying to replicate something that really is just undesirable when it comes to this city and what we're all about. I don't get it. No, I don't either. And there are lots of other ways to show their support yes. uh, in those stands. And, and really, uh, those fans, like uh, like other supporters groups at, uh, in Vancouver and Montreal, they lead the way. You know, they, they start the cheers, they start the, the, the chants, they have a big role to play. So uh, I'm hoping they realize that uh, they can be a positive force rather than uh, a disrupting one. Good stuff, Neil. Hope to see you down there tonight. Should be a good one. 7.30 kickoff back at BMO Field. It's been a while, so it'll be great to see you back down there. Yeah, looking forward to it, Gareth. Thank you. Neil Davidson from the Canadian Press, senior sports writer at Neil M. Davidson, does a fantastic job covering Toronto FC and joining us here on Toronto Today. Look, it's like... 99% of the fans are, are phenomenal. It's just a small group of idiots, let's be honest, that makes everyone else look bad and affects not only the, the, the supporter experience off the field, but it affects the players on the field. It affects everything involved. And those individuals need to be accountable for those actions. And if they're within your own supporters group, tell them to smarten up. It's not a mob mentality, or at least it shouldn't be. 
If they cannot conduct themselves like true supporters, then look, they have no reason to even be in that stadium. Uh, tonight, Ottawa Fury, Toronto FC, second leg Canadian Championship goes. 7 p.m. pre-match with myself, Gareth Wheeler, right here on TSN 1050. Sound Wars coming up next. And an all-time NHL great is going to announce his retirement Monday. We'll chat with one of his best friends in the biz about what made Jerome Ginla such a special player. Jamie Newells McLennan will check into the program next. I am Wheels, and this is TSN 1050. The greatest moments in history are now up to you. This is TSN 1050's Sound Wars. It's 11.43 right here on Toronto Today, and this is the next Sound Wars battle in the Kessel Conference, my favorite conference of them all, because I love talking Phil Kessel just so, so much. Scene number two, I saw Baines in the shower. I took a look at Baines in the shower. He looks like all of Australia. (laughs) He is really put together. Tommy Heinsohn. He's talking waist up, right? He's not talking waist down. Can't be. Because how would Tommy Heinsohn know what Australia looks like below the belt? So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's keeping things north of the equator. Uh, let's hear seed number This is a good one. This Some context to seed number seven. I'm involved. It was back on Wednesday, March 21st. The Raptors were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Remember they lit them up in the first half? They had like 79 first half points. And I was ripping on Cleveland. I was excited because the Raptors simply torched them. In the first half of play, well, didn't work out for the Raptors. They ended up losing 132-129. And Jack Armstrong, well, the coach, my good buddy, taught me a lesson. Let's go back there to Cleveland, because it's not Cleveland, because there's simply no D. Here is Paul Jones and the coach Jack Armstrong with your second half call. Gentlemen. Garrett, don't be talking too much smack. There's uh, 24 minutes left in a game here. So, oh, uh, I'm hyped, Jack. I'm ready for this. I've I been ready for this for weeks. 79 points with Toronto in the first half, only 39 in the second half. So there is a D in Cleveland. Wheeler, it's my boy. You're my boy. But please don't talk smack anymore. Yeah, that was just a taste. He was not happy with me. A public scolding courtesy of the coach, Jack Armstrong. Yeah, I took my medicine, and you know what? He was right, and he was right in the playoffs as well. So go to tsn1050.ca, click on Sound Wars, and vote for your favorite. I saw Baines in the shower, or Wheeler says no D in Cleveland. Voting for this sound war closes at 3 p.m. Listen to Overdrive later today for the results and for the start of a new Sound Wars battle on TSN 1050. By the way, Ice Cube is coming up on Overdrive. Is that today or tomorrow? Is that today? Today at 5 p.m., the legendary Ice Cube with Brian Hayes and Steve Simmons. So tonight, uh, he's in town for the Big Three. Ice Cube, how cool is that? 5 p.m. tonight right here on TSN 1050. Uh, We miss him on Overdrive. He's in vacation mode. Uh, He's probably by the pool right now, but he's being kind enough to take some time because a good buddy of his is about to announce his retirement after 20 
years in the National Hall, uh, in the National Hockey League. That Hall of Fame career for Jerome Gimla, it was something special. And Monday will be yet another special day in this storied career for Jerome Aginla. It is Jamie McLennan from Overdrive, and he's checking in right here on Toronto today. Uh, a big decision for Jerome, Jamie, but after 20 years, what a career that he's had, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you when you look at uh, Jerome's body of work, 625 goals, I think like 675 assists, something. You know, just it, it's uh, this is a guy who could certainly score and was a goal scorer. But I I called him a a five tool player because I think he did everything. He wasn't shy to be aggressive. He hit. He received hits. He would drop the gloves. He was a great leader. Um, and you know, it's a, he didn't play this last year. Um, I know he wanted to, but he he had a hip surgery, so he wasn't able to uh, recover in time. So I I think he's had uh, uh, enough time for it to settle in, and and the Calgary Flames were nice enough to give them uh, give him a platform to to announce his retirement on Monday. So I'm I'm actually fortunate enough I'm going to fly in for it and awesome. uh, kicking around. So it should be good. But uh, yeah, what a great career by Jerome McGinley, regardless if he was on your team or not. Uh, He's the type of guy you, I think you, a lot of people really enjoyed watching play. No kidding. How long did you play with Jerome for, Jamie? Uh, I played a couple years, I'd say three years with Jerome in Calgary. But, I mean, we he's from St. Albert, Alberta, uh, as well as I am. And, and I won't say we grew up together because he's uh, six years younger than me, but... Uh, we we've been very close friends for over 20 years so uh i got an opportunity like i say to play three years with him in calgary and and also and then when i was uh, coaching i was seven years with the calgary flames organization either playing or in player development and coaching and he was around all all seven years so uh, lots of opportunity to to work to play with and and work with Jerome. So was there was there a moment, whether playing, coaching with him, or even growing up in St. Albert, where you just knew that something special was transpiring before your eyes? Um, a lot of different. You know, it's funny. There's a lot of different layers to Jerome. Um, early on, when he first hit 50, uh, I'm 100 percent biased, but I believed he was robbed by Jose Theodore when. Theodore won the heart that year, and and Aginla was the runner-up for the heart. Um, you know, if you go back, there was this would be a great Rick Westhead uh, investigation, but uh, there was some Montreal <laughs> media that didn't put Jerome on their ballot just so that that um, Theodore could win. Uh, but I, I I believe that Jerome should have won that year. Uh, there's so many different things. You know, the uh, one that stands out for me. It was the 04 playoffs when you had two captains drop the gloves, Vinny LeCavier and, and Jerome McGinnell. I think that was in game four. Um, there was another uh, opportunity where, you know, the, the, the golden goal, you, you hear Sidney Crosby yell for it, yell Iggy Iggy, and McGinnell gets it to him, and, and then Crosby scores on Ryan Miller. So there's a, there's a couple things that stand out for, for me when it comes to Jerome's play, but I, I say this, and it's, it's it's scary to say as great of a player that he was, and and he is a, was a great player. He was a better person. He's a, he's a great ambassador for the game. He was a great role model on and off the ice for for people. And you know, there's there's times where I say it. I even say it on overdrive. I think um, in in the sports world and in in the world period, there are people that the public perception is a lot different than the private perception. And, and, and it's good and bad. Sometimes there are people that are 
you, you think are amazing people and you, you hear that they're just awful people or pieces of garbage and, and vice versa. That's not the case with Jerome. Uh, what you see is what you get, and, and he's always been that, like that. He's a humble person. He's a, he's a good person. He comes from a good family, and uh, uh, like I say, it's a great career that will be celebrated on Monday. And, and Jamie, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on today, because you're right. I just feel like Aginla embodies everything that's great about Canadian hockey. Really, yeah. like the way that he conducts himself, the type of person he is, and also the type of the, the way that he played on the ice. You called him a five-tool player, yeah. just that guy that could score goals, provide that grit, provide that grind, drop the gloves when he had to be. But a level of physicality, leadership, he brought it all to the table. And I worry a little bit about the NHL today that players like Aginla are going the way of the dodo. They're kind of being pushed out of the game a little bit to bring in just like really fast players, smaller, faster players. And quite frankly, players like Aginler are why I like hockey so much because he brought everything to the table. He checked all the boxes. Do you worry that players like Aginler are getting slowly pushed out of the game a little bit? Um, in essence, now the game is, is, has modified. You're right. It's like, I mean, we're not going to be ever see a situation where it's, uh, um, you know, you're going to have guys like Aginla. I think they were Swiss Army knives. Uh, Brendan Shanahan reminds me of a guy, uh, you know, kind of in that that weight class, that type of player, everything. Um, but when I look at it, I just think there's different types of players. Uh, in today's game, I, my comparable would be a guy like Jamie Benn for him. Jamie Benn is a, an elite goal scorer. He's a great captain in Dallas and and a very respected player throughout the league, but he's not shy to be aggressive. And, and it, you're right, it's just the lay of the land of the league right now. The, the league's all about speed, it's all about skill, and, and there's a focus on trying to get some of the rough stuff out. And I don't mind the rough stuff, uh, like especially the dirty stuff, but I, I'm, I'm still a proponent of, a, of an old-fashioned dust-up when, when tempers flare. And, and a lot of times that, that can calm a game within the game. If you see two guys drop the gloves and then they end it and they move on and then the game settles on, settles down. So um, I think there are players like that that are still in the game, but they are few and far between. Whereas 15, 10, 15 years ago, there were a lot of players that kind of fell into that that ilk, they just may not have been as good as Jerome McGinley and guys like Brendan Shanahan. Well, Monday will be a celebration in Calgary, but make sure Jerome and everyone understands that it kind of feels like a Canadian celebration because, again, he represented everything that was good and right about Canadian hockey. And uh, very cool that you get to go out there. How's your summer vacation going, Noodles? It's been good. It's been good. I've been tracking everything. So I, as much as I... Uh, as I act like I'm off, I'm not really off. I just uh, I watch from afar. But right. uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be I'll be kicking around the overdrive scene and then TSN here very soon. I I'm getting antsy to get back and visit everyone. Right on. Um, Bob McKenzie has his margarita maker. What do you have, buddy? I've got a popcorn maker. Popcorn so maker, right? Uh, yes, I've got my own movie theater popcorn uh, machine. I actually bought it from a a restaurant supplier. So it's actually the ones that are like in Cineplex. So uh, I, I don't make too much at home because I prefer just to go to a movie. So I've been trying to catch up on my movies here this week and uh, I'm two for two. I won't make it to the theater today, but hopefully tomorrow I'll be looking at it. You are an absolute movie machine. Uh, Noodles, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Safe travels out west, okay? And we'll see you soon.
Absolutely. Thanks, Wheels. Jamie McLennan joining us right here on Toronto Today. Taking some time. Really appreciate that, by the way. And that's what you like to hear about a player like Jerome McGinley retiring. But the substance of what that individual was all about. And sitting here in Toronto, it's like, do I have any affiliation to the Calgary Flames whatsoever? Absolutely not. But you feel like you grew to know what Jerome McGinley was all about, both on the ice and off the ice. So I think it's more than just about Calgary come Monday and Jerome McGinley's retirement. Um, it's about a celebration of a great Canadian hockey player. Not a good Canadian hockey player, but a Hall of Famer. Uh, 1,554 games, 625 goals, 675 assists. That's 1,300 points over the course of his 20-year career. Congratulations to Jerome McGinley. Uh, I'm going to open the phone lines. If you want to delve back in to DeMar DeRozan, we'll go there. The Blue Jays trade deadline will go there. 416-870-1050. Toll free at 1-855-591-6876. Richard Griffin will join uh, and talk the Blue Jays trade deadline in about 30 minutes time. And we'll weigh in on the poll questions next. Gareth Wheeler sitting in on Toronto today. It's 11.56, and you are listening to TSN 10.50 in Toronto. More to come right here uh, in just three minutes' time, right here on TSN 10.50.